Good morning. As some of you know, my vision is failing, and so I have to write myself notes that you probably you could probably read from where you're sitting. <laughs> so thank God for technology and surfaces that you can expand the font to uh, blind people's uh, vision deficiencies. Um, I am so grateful for this church. I started attending here in January 1996 as a New Year's resolution. I was the one sitting in the back row, came only at the very start of the service, and sat back there in hopes during the service that nobody would talk to me or ask me questions or visit with me. And it was an easy escape at the end to leave at the very end of the service quickly. So again, I wouldn't need to talk with anyone. So things have changed over the years. Um, but I grew up in a Christian home and uh, went to church every Sunday. But I left the church for about 20 years and led a very selfish and sinful life. And so um, I had every intention to come to this church and do some church shopping and try other churches as well, but I never went anywhere else. This was just a very good fit for me. So uh, in the summer of 2001, there was an insert in the Sunday morning bulletin that was advertising a trip to Guatemala in October of that year with Agros International. And my husband and I have done some traveling, but Central America and South America were never on our list of places that we really were passionate about ever visiting. So I was a little bit surprised at myself being interested in this Guatemala trip. But I did sign up, and I went in October of 2001. And it was uh, a trip that completely turned my life upside down and changed me. Um, the families in the small village of Las Bronza um, have such a strong faith, materialistically, especially back then in 2001, had very little. Their kids were sickly, always had runny noses and coughs, and wore torn clothing that was too small for them, and the parents didn't have uh, money to afford anything better. And yet, they had a faith that was unbelievable and really left an impression on me. Well, I came back from that October 2001 trip and thought, well, I really want to know how these families will continue to do in the future. Um, so I called the Agros uh, office to see if they needed any volunteer help because I thought selfishly, if I'm in the office, I might hear some things about these new friends of mine in Guatemala. And I continued going back one, two, or three times a year. And in 2004, I started thinking about um, just how God was working in my life and that I really would like to be baptized. So I talked to Francisco, the pastor in La Esperanza, and asked him um, if the next time I came back to Guatemala, would he be willing to baptize me? And he said yes. So February 5th, 2005, 
I was baptized in the river near La Esperanza, and every single family, adults, children, everyone, came, walked the hike down to the river and uh, was there for my baptism and helped me celebrate that occasion. And being raised out of the water that day and knowing God's promise that my sins had been washed away, I just, I felt like it was a fresh and new beginning for me. And I made a promise that day to him that I would continue in my life to serve him and serve others in whatever ways he wanted me to, and that I would be receptive to hearing uh, how he would call me to, to do that. There were, in my lifetime, there have been many, many good days in my life, um, as all of you. You all have days that really stand out, but that day, February 5th, 2005, is probably the, well, it is, the most important and special day of my life. Um, so I have continued volunteering with Agros. It's been over 15 years now that I've been, um, I feel like I'm part of the furniture now, um, been there so long. And as Julie mentioned, uh, volunteer with Nicholas Fund for Education and on Sunday mornings uh, volunteer here at the church. And, um, and just open to what God um, wants, how he wants to use me. And my hope and prayer for myself is that my husband, John, who is not a believer and does not attend church with me, that he one day will invite Jesus into his heart and attend church with me, and that we would be able to share our faith together in the future. So, moving on. Um, this morning, our scripture reading is from 1 Timothy. So please follow along in your Bible or use the screens. I'll be reading from 1 Timothy 6, verses 1 through 10 from the New International Version. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have been believing... Those who have believing masters should not show them disrespect just because they are fellow believers. Instead, they should serve them even better because their masters are dear to them as fellow believers and are devoted to the welfare of their slaves. These are the things that you are to teach and insist on. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the it does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching. They are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means of finan to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. 
Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root for all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The word of the Lord. Wow, thank you, Kathy, for that powerful testimony. I have a confession to make to you, Kathy. I have a secret competition with you on Sunday mornings. I try to get here before Kathy does. I've never succeeded. I think I'll need to spend the night in my office to make it happen. There are days I so badly want to believe the world. I want to believe that if I had the perfect outfit, the best makeup, the biggest bank account, I will achieve peace and happiness and find myself content. I buy into the lie that a more luxurious car, an exotic vacation, or even an instant pot will make me feel complete. On the onset, you would probably not assume these things about me. I basically watch one television show over and over again, and that's Parks and Recreation. I wear the same five articles of clothing every week, and this is not because I'm a minimalist or simple. It's out of laziness. I could not name five celebrities under 40, potentially under 50. I listened to the sermon from the guest preacher, Jesse, a few weeks ago, and I will be honest with you, I had to Google who Kanye was. And when he came up in my search, I only recognized one of his songs from 2005, You Ain't Nothing But a Gold Digger. I listen to NPR and classical music. I like to brag about how cheap I got an article of clothing for, and I have been to the mall maybe five times in the last year. This is not to brag about how holy I might seem. It is actually to do the opposite. My life doesn't seem that different than what I would expect a nun in the convent to live, minus the fact that I have a husband and a child. But the false teachings of this world have a hold on me, the same way it would appear a person who tweeted, Snapchatted, wore designer clothes, was up to date on the latest celebrity gossip, and could name five of Kanye's songs. None of us are immune to being led astray from what the scripture this morning refers to as the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching. We are tempted by consumerism, entitlement, and greed. Just this past week, Ben and I made some plans to go camping with some friends. I nearly Googled cute camping outfits And then my Eagle Scout dad popped into my head, and I visualized saying those words to him. Shame kept me from my search. Our scripture this morning says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I think money can be the main culprit. But I would add to this list an unhealthy need to consume. We consume money and food and material possessions 
We consume our time often with things that have no lasting value. I look around at restaurants and coffee shops, and I see people sitting at tables, not engrossed in conversation with one another, but engrossed in their technology. While nursing my daughter, I will often scroll through Facebook. I am frequently convicted that this time will pass, and I will have spent it reading someone's review of the unicorn frappuccino from Starbucks when I could be delighting in my little girl. A commentator on this scripture said, lovers of money get all the pain and no pleasures. For a love of money comes anxiety and distractions. If we believe our fulfillment is set on things that are temporary, we will find ourselves constantly feeling empty. I don't want to live like this. In a desire to seek true contentment, the things that stayed with me as I read and reread this passage this week were sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ, godly teaching, and godliness with contentment is great gain. Jesus did not really beat around the bush when he was here on earth what he was about. However, we continue to struggle to follow his instructions. He calls us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourself. I would assume all godly teaching would have this as its end goal. As I sought leaders in my own life who have exemplified godliness to me, I came up with a few individuals who have had a huge impact on me. Last week in Sunday school, I asked the children to think of women who were important in their lives besides their mothers. Most brought up their grandma. You should feel good about yourselves, grandmas. I shared with the students of a neighbor I had as a child. She was my best friend from when I was the age of three to the age of six years old when we had to move away. Her name was Anne, and she was in her mid-70s at the time. We moved to the neighborhood after my parents divorced, my three older brothers and me. Anne and her husband Charlie lived right next door. I was too young to remember how we became acquainted with them, but my memory of those two were they have been a part of my life since the very beginning. Charlie had a bike shop in his garage and gave each one of us children a bike for free. Anne would allow me to come over to her house every single day. For three years, every single day, she opened her door to me. She taught me how to shuffle cards and paint my nails. She was a belly dancer and made me my own belly dancing costumes. She would show me pictures of her family and I could name her extended relatives better than I could name my own. Anne never made me feel like a charity or a nuisance. Her home felt like a second home to me. And she was so inviting and loving, it did not seem strange at all to call her my best friend. In fact, she was one of only three people I invited to my sixth birthday party. 
Vine's biblical dictionary defines godliness as piety, which is characterized by a God-word attitude, does that which is well-pleasing to God. My mom talks about Anne and Charlie as godsends, for they were as much a companion to her as they were to us kids. She once said, who celebrates the single mom who moves in next door with three wild boys and one very precocious girl? Thinking back now, Anne and Charlie represent characteristics of God. Their love, selflessness, hospitality, and openness is how I imagine Christ was to those who found themselves in the hard times of life. Anne and Charlie's gentle nature with us kids exemplified Christ's instruction to welcome little children. Goodness oozed from the two of them. The other person that came to mind was my dear friend and theology professor from seminary, Michelle Clifton Soderstrom. She was the professor everyone wanted to be friends with, and colleagues spoke very highly of her classes. She has a lot of energy and is easy to get along with. She is always up for a cup of coffee or a glass of wine, and I feel like I could tell her anything, from the lowest low to my highest high. If I was in a place of needing to confess, she would be one of the safest people I know I could confess to. Her faith and belief in God is enchanting. She taught both of her children the Apostles' Creed before they even started preschool. She listens to another's perspective and respects them enough not to diminish or disregard it, but at the same time holds fast to her own convictions. She has a strong voice for justice, and yet she sees redemption in places other people call a lost cause. Because of this, she teaches classes at the state penitentiary to inmates. I value Michelle's deep love of the church. In a day and age where it feels like Christians have gotten into the bad habit of bad-mouthing the bridegroom of Christ, the church, Michelle clings to the belief that this is the place where God can do God's best work. She sees the potential in humankind and lives out the resurrection story. Michelle certainly has a God-word attitude. A leader is often characterized by their charisma, big personality, or an ability to get people to follow. However, a leader that would emerge from our scripture this morning would be someone who is marked more by the fruits of the Spirit— Someone with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Someone who is motivated by love and not by personal gain. I read the opening convocation speech to the students of Duke Divinity School from 1966, which was given by their dean at the time, Robert Cushman. He spoke of godliness as a vocation. He ended his address, I offer you a seasoned conviction. The vocation of godliness today is open to all of us. 
It is what it always has been from Abraham until now. It is open to transcendence. It is also since Christ. Participation with him in the absolute affirmation of the world. Not the world in its fight from God, but the world in its intent and purpose for God for it. You may ask yourself, to be godly, do I need to make the child next door a belly dancing costume? Or teach a class at the local prison? The vocation of godliness looks different for each of us. I believe it starts with an openness to what God would have for you. Take a look at your life and see what feels imbalanced. What are your priorities and who are your priorities? Do you toil away at your job to keep increasing your retirement fund and put off for tomorrow what you could do today? Do you save up for the latest gadget or gizmo and overlook the way your money could be helping someone's need instead of your want? Is your life filled with things you love or people you love? Do you seek out ways to use your time, talents, and resources to help the church reach people who need to know they are loved? The vocation of godliness is not a one-time act of kindness, or it's not attendance at church every week. It is more than just reading your Bibles. It is a calling on our daily lives to seek to be Christ-like, to truly love our neighbors as ourselves. It is not just to be nice and friendly to them. It is to love them. It is creating within us a person someone could confide in, seek refuge, and find compassion. Dean Cushman said to his students, it is only in doing the truth that we keep on knowing it. The more I choose love, the easier it will be to love the harder people in this world. The less I chase after money and belongings, the more content I am with what I have. As I think of Anne and Michelle's legacy of godliness in my own life, they left their not mark not because they looked fabulous or had lots of money. They left their mark because when I was in their presence, I felt as if I was in the presence of God. In the words of Dean Cushman, the vocation of godliness today is open to all of us. Seek to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And then seek to love your neighbor as yourself. Godliness will follow. Let us pray. Almighty and holy God, we come now into your presence and we are grateful for the word that you have gifted us with. You have given us this word, God, to direct our lives and our lives to what Jesus has called to us, life and life in the full. You want to lead us into meaning and purpose and guide us with your love. 
May we have open and receptive hearts to receive what you have for us this day. We love you, Lord, and we give it all to you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.